Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, and happy Halloween. We're recording this on a crisp morning on the last day of October here in Portland, a day when I woke up, went in to trim my beard, and accidentally left the bathroom with a mustache. My daughter thinks I look weird, my son thinks I look handsome, and I'm suddenly scrambling to try to figure out what I'm supposed to be for Halloween. Hope all of you are doing a little bit better. Of course, you're listening to us on the other side of November 1, rolling in an overabundance of Halloween candy, and we hope celebrating the fact that you've completed the first of a handful of feats this college admission season, the conquering of those early action and early decision deadlines. I, for one, can't wait to see what my life looks like after we get into November, and I hope that the near future has many happy returns to offer. You know, college admissions counselors can be a little bit crazy here at the end of October. I just got to warn you. We've got another great show lined up for you today, complete with some of your favorite college admissions and finance experts. A reminder that you can download this show as a podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're always glad to receive a review and a five-star rating. We love those five-star ratings to help other parents and students find their way to our show. Okay. Let's actually do the show. On to the first segment. Uh, joining me for a special kind of segment this morning is my former West Coast turned East Coast colleague, formerly of the Stanford and Columbia Admissions Offices, Lauren DiProspero. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, Ann. Great to be here. I'm glad to have you. And so I suppose that the producers who are brainstorming this topic for today, they thought, they thought it would be great to sort of work through a kind of top five as we get to the end of October. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what, what are the top five things that we're going to be counting down here uh, at, for the first segment of the show today? Yeah, so it's the top five mistakes students make in the application process. Okay. Um, so if you have, for, just a word of warning, um, if you have already applied to schools, you're listening to this on November 7th, um, Maybe just fast forward twenty minutes to the next segment. I think that would be fine. You might you might not want to hear this, <laughs> or you could <laughs> you could think about what to do for the regular decision. I suppose. Mm, true. Okay, so um, this is great for juniors, great for sophomores, um, great for second guessing. Um, but let's mm-hmm. let's start with number five. Um, I wish I had a sort of a drum roll yeah. or some Paul for music going here, but I'll just <laughs> kick it over to you for number five yeah. in the top five action mistakes. Yeah, so number five um, is trying to be original, right? So the emphasis on trying. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, the, the two risks that I think can come out of being original could be, you know, the format or the topic doesn't really land the way you had hoped. Um, or you might not be answering the question that they're asking in an attempt to be too original. Um, you know, both of those risks mean that you might stand out, but maybe not in the way that you had hoped, maybe not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there are, I think there are a couple of different reasons that this is a big mistake, but do you, do you have any sort of memories either from your time working in admission or just in reading essays where 
something really does stand out, but not in a good way? Yeah, I mean, the number one that kind of comes to mind that I always think about is if someone is um, too explicit about maybe a health concern or something and like the personal statement. <laughs> right. I've definitely read those. Um, definitely read a lot of essays where the creativity took over the answer of the question and they don't end up, um, you know, answering the why this college essay in an attempt to um, have something totally unique and not really what the, the school is looking for. That's right. And, and so I think an admission officer gets to the end of an essay like that and says, what did I just read? Like, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. I, I think that exactly. it sort of begins from a place of a student saying, I've got to figure out what I can do to make me stand out. And when you ask that question, I find that for the vast majority of students, it moves them away from their bread and butter, the stuff that they're really good at, um, because they think that yeah. the stuff they're really good at that they do every single day is normal, is just part of who they are. And and I think a lot of students have this belief that who they are is not interesting enough for college admissions offices. But we, we feel quite differently. Right. Um, yeah, so in, absolutely. instead of trying to be original, what can a student do? So the, the mistake is to try to be original. What's the alternative path that we'd recommend? Yeah, is, you know, to be true to who you are, to understand that each um, written opportunity in an application is a chance to showcase yourself um, and who you truly are, right? Using the essays and the prompts to, um, you know, use the scaffolding of what they're saying, but putting who you are into that, that application. That's going to go a lot further than, you know, trying to be, to be truly original um, because the application really is about getting to know who you are as a person and inherently as a person, you are interesting. That's right. I think that's exactly right. And, and so that means choosing a topic that you feel excited to write, that you're comfortable with, um, and maybe using parents and friends as resources to help identify some of the things that you have the best opportunity to, to share. Um, I think that's yeah, a good... Absolutely. It's a good transition to number four. So we've just done number five. Yep. Now we're going to move into number four for the top five admissions mistakes. What's next on the list, Lauren? Yeah. So the next one is repeating yourself in the application. So that means saying basically the same thing over and over, overusing one topic. Um, because like I said, right, you want to use each space in the application um, each essay opportunity to show really different aspects of how awesome you are, right? You don't want to keep repeating the same activity or the same passion, right? Colleges are specific in what they see and where they want to see it. Um, and sometimes more is just more, right? You might have that interest in becoming an engineer, but you also might be really interested in classics, right? Or I don't know, you know, history or something, right? And you can showcase those different aspects of who you are in the application instead of continuously repeating your interest in engineering or your um, one experience over the summer that, you know, probably meant a lot to you and gave you a lot of growth, but is not something to be repeated, right? You want to build on that to give them that um, well-rounded view into who you are as a person. Yeah, I think that's right. And you you really have to trust admission officers that if you put something in your application once, that it's something that's going to 
going to land for them. So you don't have to keep harping on this one achievement that you have in every single essay, because if you mention it the first Mm -hmm. time, admission officers are going to make note of it. That's their job to catch those things and to make note of your achievements that you have. So if you raised, you know, $5,000 for a nonprofit um, that you helped to found, you don't want to put that in your activities list and make it the major point of your essay and talk about it in your supplemental essay. It becomes something that really be- gets repetitive. And I think for the most part, yeah. the mistake here is that it's a missed opportunity because every time that yeah, you're talking exactly. about that one thing, you're not talking about something else that you have the space to talk about. So how can right. students sort of figure out the best place to share content? I mean, is there a right place to share different kinds of things when you look at the entirety of the application? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to that is it depends upon the application, <laughs> right? The, the phrase yeah. we use kind of most often is, is it depends. It depends upon what the school is asking for, right? If you're applying to a school that's asking you to explain your top extracurricular activity, Right, that could be a great place to be showcasing that five thousand dollars that you raised, and and to kind of get into detail of why that activity meant so much to you and successes that you had. Um, but if they're asking about why this major, you may not have an opportunity to do that. But with each of the prompts that they're asking, right, they're asking something that they want to know about you that they find important, and so sometimes. That one thing might not make it into every single application, but there are places like in the activities list for that, that $5,000 that you raised to be showcasing that as well, even if it doesn't end up in an essay. That's right. You know, you know I did, I got a story here. It's going to go somewhere. I promise. Um, I, I did okay. a thousand piece <laughs> puzzle. I did a thousand piece puzzle with some friends and we had this piece that we just couldn't figure out where it belonged in the puzzle. And so we, we just kept looking at it because it had this really weird sort of color arrangement. And by the time we finished the puzzle, we identified that it was actually a duplicate. And so there's nothing that we could do with it. It, it, made, it made no sense. So, right. so we decided to just toss that in the trash. And so sometimes I describe the application as putting pieces of a puzzle together. If you duplicate pieces, that's not helpful. You're looking for things to interlock and together create a bigger picture if you're always coming back to that same thing, then it becomes a piece that essentially gets thrown in the trash because it doesn't add anything to the understanding of the student. So um, yeah. don't be a, an extra puzzle yeah, piece. And, yeah, and you know, talking to friends and family can be helpful in identifying those different pieces that do fit in that application that are not repetitive, right? You might only be right. able to see that one big thing that you want to talk about and might naturally be blocking yourself from thinking about all the other great things that you've done um, that are important to share, that are big pieces of who you are. And sometimes someone outside of you are able to identify that better um, than you might be able to. And, you know, I think that this is a great sort of lead in to that number three mistake. Um, Why don't you, why don't you give us number three and then we can talk about that connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Number three is um, not staying organized. Right. This process, it, it's important to stay organized because I'm sure that our, you know, our listeners have seen how many different pieces go into an application um, just for it to be submitted and finalized by the, the college. That's right. And, and, you know, I think that the organization isn't just about when are the deadlines and when are the yeah. application, the, the financial aid deadlines and just making sure you hit those, but also being really thoughtful right. about, okay, the UC has four personal insight questions. Let's look at what all four of those that I'm going to respond to are going to mean 
and plan out how those pieces of the puzzle fit together. Um, let's think about which of those essays I might be able to reuse or repurpose for another essay mm-hmm. for a different school. So uh, there's a lot of pre-planning, I think, that can be very helpful in thinking about the work that needs to be done and making sure that it applies across yeah. all schools. Yeah, and I think you highlight the importance of going into each individual school's application early to find out what supplemental essays are required or are optional um, to make sure that you can plan that out. Because if you can write that, um, you know, favorite extracurricular essay once and use it for three schools, right, that's less work. You know, you're applying to the UCs and other schools that UCSA might be able to use, be used elsewhere. And right. if you're, you're not looking at that early enough, you might not realize that or might come up against the deadline and discover, you know, there's an essay that you missed. So work hard, but also work smart. Make sure that you're reusing. I think that's one of Beth Heaton's favorite uh, expressions for students. Um, And also just a little, I want to move on to number two, but uh, stay organized for the sake of your college counselor and your teachers Mm -hmm. as well, because if you don't give them information about deadlines and timing for those letters of recommendation, it's going to reflect poorly on you when it comes time for them to write those letters. So make sure that you're organized for their sake as well. Um, Lauren, we've got... uh, We've got a few minutes. I, I want to get on to number two. Number two. Yep. yep. Putting little or no effort into the activities list, right? I think that um, many of our colleagues would say that this section tends to be the most underused part of the application by applicants. Um, you know, the activities list is really important. You can actually convey a lot of information in that very, very small space that they give you, right, the 150 characters. But I think taking the time to make those descriptions really count is is worth the effort that that takes. And there's not a whole lot of... Um signaling that's happening within the Common App to understand that because you're doing data entry up until that point. And then you come to activities and it just asks you, all right, tell us about one activity, now a second, now a third. And if you treat that as a data entry project and just sort of enter in whatever comes to mind, you're missing a real opportunity, I think, to be creative um, and to be complete in terms of sharing Mm -hmm. the full scope of what you've done uh, outside of the classroom. Um, Lauren, what about, you know, there are, there are, I think there are a few ways to tackle this. What about sort of thinking what actually goes onto this list? How do students identify what should mm-hmm. be shared in the activities list? Yeah. I mean, it should be, you know, things that you do outside of the classroom, but that's not limited to high school. It could be clubs and activities or sports, um, but it could be, you know, science fairs that you do outside. It could be something that you do with your your faith-based community. It could be a job. It could be a major family responsibility. Um, You know, you have on the common application, you have uh, 10 spots to put something in. Um, You know, ideally, these 10 spots, if you can fill them all, or if you can't, that's totally fine, you know, are the most important to you, right? Thinking through the fact that something that you've done for three or four years consistently is probably should make that list compared to that one service project you did in ninth grade for half a day. Probably not the one to add. Um, but thinking through everything that you've done in high school, prioritizing and, um, you know, thinking through what, again, this is a section that gets to show the admissions officers something about you, um, to get to know who you are, and your activities are, are a huge part of that. Yeah, I, I think that that's exactly right. Um, and and I, uh, the activities list is just something that 
man, I wish more students really were connected and committed to it because it makes such a big difference um, in that in that yeah. review from from an admission officer's point of view. All right, let's get to number one. What is the number one yep. mistake that we think students make on their applications? Yes. Spending all of their time on the personal statement and writing the supplemental essays quickly or at the last minute. So, you know, I think this is a huge mistake for a lot of reasons. And, you know, the personal statement is very important in this process, right? Um, it's important yes. to put that time and energy in, but in, because it does go to pretty much every single college you apply to, but there can be some drawbacks in not spending that time on your supplemental essay, like difference in quality, right? Admissions officer might be thinking which actually represents your work and your potential as a student, right? Um, those supplemental essays might end up being too generic, right? Writing those quickly means that you're not thinking about your fit with that school, right? That why college essay becomes generic and the admissions officer might not see the fit, you know, with their school um, if you don't really give it the time and thought that's necessary um, to, to do those essays well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I worked when I was at Reed, we had a why read essay, it's no longer a part of the supplement, but it was a big part of what we did when we were reading applications there. And if a student had a why read that showed that they just didn't really care about the school that they weren't interested, they didn't know it, it could really sink an application very quickly, even if their personal statement was very polished. You know, that, that contrast yeah. actually showed like this kid is capable of doing really excellent yeah. writing. And so the fact that they didn't put that effort into this shows that they don't really care about our school all that much. And so it doesn't feel as difficult to give them a deny decision or put them on the wait list yeah. because they're not yeah. representing their interests in a way that feels authentic. Yeah, it was the same way at Columbia. We have the Y Columbia, and that's a huge part of um, our review is seeing that that fit with the student. Have they thought about what it means to, to be going to Columbia, the different aspects of it? Um, it used to be much shorter than it is, and now it's a little bit longer, which I think is a testament to how important that question is to them. Yeah, and I, this really sort of goes back to some of the other things in our top five, you know, staying organized, making sure you're not repeating yourself. Uh, those things are really important when it comes time to write these supplements. And so, uh, you know, a student that takes the time to plan ahead, uh, you know, juniors, I think if you're listening to this, it's a really great thing to understand as you approach Labor Day next year. But even for seniors, if you're in November, um, aside from the University of Washington, where the deadline is November 15th, the remaining deadlines are going to be end of November and then on into the new year. And uh, I think there's still plenty of time to be thoughtful about how you execute these Absolutely. supplemental essays and, and tackle these different components. Um, any other final tips that you would have for our seniors that are on the other side of November 1 right now? Yeah. I would just say, take time to enjoy being on the other side of November 1. I think that it's the, you know, most stressful part of the process is being pre-November 1. Take a moment to take a breath, you know, spend some time with your family um, but, and friends and, and then just get back to work and make sure you, you continue to work on those supplemental essays for your remaining schools. Going back to that idea of continuing to stay organized and um, getting your work done. So. Yeah, I think that that's great. Um, we've told you what to avoid now, so everything should just go mm -hmm. super smoothly uh, from here on out. Exactly. So that's what we're here for. Uh, Lauren, thanks a lot for yep. coming on the show and, and helping get those uh, top five ready for us. Yeah, thanks for having me in. All right, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about the mistake of applying to way too many colleges. So don't go away. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Accidents, injuries, hazards of all kinds. It seems like everything you do has something dangerous attached to it. Everyday safety is important to us all. Yet where can you get the information you need to prevent injuries and accidents? Tune in for Todd Murray and his program, Safety is Your First Choice. From safety in the home to the car in your workplace, as well as anywhere that you need to be prepared, he'll cover a range of topics. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, our next segment is about applying to far too many schools. But before we jump into that, I want to introduce you to one school that you might not know much about, the college that dresses up as Hogwarts for Halloween, Mount Holyoke. Many female students balk at the suggestion of applying to a women's college, but clearly they don't know enough about Mount Holyoke, the first institution to join the famed Seven Sisters. Here, an impassioned and diverse group of young women seek to empower themselves to make a difference in the world. The college's 2,200 undergrads come from across the country and around the globe with international students and students of color comprising 27 and 26 percent of the student body, respectively. Interdisciplinary majors are popular, and students can pursue enticing options such as psychology and education, international relations, and critical social thought. And for aspiring female scientists, attending a women's college can provide you with exceptional support as you strive to enter a traditionally male-dominated field. At Mount Holyoke, or MoHome, as it is affectionately known, over one-third of students major in the sciences taking courses and conducting research in the college's state-of-the-art science center. Considering engineering, you can earn your BA from Mount Holyoke as well as an engineering degree from either Dartmouth or Caltech. 
through the college's five-year dual degree program. It's also good to know that the admissions committee welcomes applicants from female, transgender, or non-binary students who identify as female. Now, Mount Holyoke might be a great option for those of you who do self-identify as women, but it should be added as a part of a thoughtful balance list rather than being just another school tacked onto a whole heaping of colleges where you might choose to apply as a senior. And we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls of a too long college list with our friend and expert, Zaragoza Guerra. Hey, Z, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Ian. Glad to be here. We're going to talk about one of those Halloween nightmares, um, one of the scariest <laughs> things that we see when it comes to applying to colleges, and that is the student that just is applying to too many schools. Um, but let's throw some numbers out there. What do we sort of feel is, I guess, too many? And we can sort of talk about a, a, you know, varying degrees of too many mm-hmm. in this regard. Um, what's sort of a little too many, and then what is just sort of over the top, um, way too many? Yeah, I, I, I would say this. If we're looking at a reasonable college list, I'd, I'd probably expect to see at a minimum seven schools. Um, on the upper range of a reasonable list, we're probably talking 10. Now, there are going to be some instances, I would say, where you know, a student might be applying to some pretty competitive schools. And if the, you know, that list is, is composed of some schools that, that are um, uber-selective, um, it's probably not a bad idea to, to pad a few more schools um, onto that set of 10. Um, I would probably think uh, maybe, you know, 11, 12, would probably be considered reasonable uh, for a mix of schools that uh, include some uber selective schools, and, and the reason I, I, I you know say that is because yeah, those schools are going to be a little bit more difficult to to get into. You're going to want to apply to a few more just to to test the waters to to see uh, where your admissions is going to stick. You know, is it is it going to be with a, a school that admits five percent of their applicant pool, or is it going to be a school that admits ten percent of their applicant pool? And you know, because there is going to be a difference. There. Um, and the reason I would say, you know, 12 <laughs> might be the upper limit there is because once you're applying to more than that, um, the, you know, these schools are going to be competing for your time. They're going to be competing sure. for the work that you're, you're putting into an application. And, you know, if you think about it, especially if we're talking about some of these uber-selective schools, uh, you know, they've got a lot of essay prompts, uh, and there's a lot of work that goes into crafting these applications. They, on their side of the table, are not going to know that you've applied to, you know, many more schools than what's expected. The only thing that they're going to see in front of them is the application that you put forth. And if you're able to craft a strong application that's going to, you know, have an impact there. And so I think, you know, in working with students, what I've seen is that, you know, even for those students who are, you know, go-getters who, you know, are not afraid of hard work and who can write well, if we're looking at an application process that allows you to start writing your essays starting in August, Let's be frank, you're not going to know what those a lot of the essay prompts are until about August 1st. 
And if you're looking at the time frame of August 1st through uh, mid-December, well, there's probably the upper limit as to what might be reasonably expected um, in in terms of accomplishing you know, and crafting a strong application for for each of those schools. Right. I think if you're, if you're going to do good work, yeah, go then then that sort of is is the upper limit. And I think, you know, if you're hearing this and you're saying 12, that sounds like nothing. That's like no schools at all. This segment is for you um, because because really that is a lot of work. Um, and I, I wanted to sort of, before you moved on to the next segment, the next section, I, the idea of hard work, I think is really important, right? A student can say, I'm hardworking. I'm going to get these essays done. I'm a good writer, whatever it may be. But I think it's hard work to choose which 10 schools you want to apply to, to do the research, to investigate in detail, to ask questions, to send emails to admissions offices and talk to students. It takes hours and hours of time to figure out where exactly you want to apply. And a student who's deciding to apply to more than 12 schools is basically deciding not to do the research work in favor of doing the essay work. And I think it's a, for me, it's more about sort of choosing where they're going to put their emphasis. And when they don't put the emphasis on the research work, I think that there is much more opportunity for things to go wrong in their process because of all of the other pieces that are involved. Absolutely. It's, it's not simply about writing essays. It's about getting to know these schools. Um, you know, it's, it's like if, if I were on a mission to, to find a date for the prom, I'm not going to send out an email blast to the entire school saying, hey, who wants to go to the prom with me? Because chances are, get a whiff of desperation there and say, That's right. thanks, but no thanks. Um, That's right. And, you know, you, you, you want to spend some time getting to know the person you're about to ask uh, to go on the prom with you and, and give some hints that, yeah, I, I'm really interested in going to the prom with you, uh, not just because you're going to say yes, but because I, I do have an interest in your uh, going to the prom with me. So if, if you're not putting in that time um, to open up emails, because, yeah, some colleges are going to track whether or not you're opening up their emails. If you're right. not taking the time to visit some of these schools, many of these colleges are going to track that, um, then you're only setting yourself up for, for failure. And uh, it, it is hard work to do that research ahead of time, but it's necessary. And uh, it's important for a variety of different reasons. One is, hey, you're, you're starting to focus and you're putting in some focused effort um, into these schools, into these applications, rather than taking on a scattered approach. You're working smarter rather than longer. Um, and uh, it allows you to really, as you were talking about in your previous segment, to write a good Why This College essay to demonstrate to the school. I really know you. There's a reason I'm applying to you, and it's because of X, Y, and Z, not simply because I saw you on a list and I'm checking you off the list, but because I'm invested in this process, and I'm invested in you, and uh, these are the reasons why I'm a good fit. And if you're not spending the time making that discovery, doing that discovery, uh, you're not going to be able to to craft uh, a, a good response when they ask you, why do you want to come to the school? Or to be able to answer that question on the fly if it's asked of you during an interview. And I, I think, 
you know, it, it makes sense to talk a little bit about why why this happens and who this happens to. I mean, this is, a I think, a challenge that we see mostly with students that have really strong academic records. They've got excellent grades. They've taken challenging courses. They have great test scores. They've been involved in a lot of things. And I think that it comes from a place of concern about, well, if I don't apply to more schools, then I don't have as many chances to get in. And what we're trying to say is that it's not about taking a handful of spaghetti and throwing it at the wall to see what sticks, but really being thoughtful about each and every application. That's what's going to make the difference. And, you know, our colleague Elise Krantz on our blog, which you can find at blog.getintocollege.com, back on October 1st, she, she wrote this great article that says there is no such thing as a safety school anymore in reference to some pretty selective schools like NYU and BU and Tulane, which have become more and more selective. And I think that part of the issue, Zaragoza, is that we have students that are competitive for those kinds of very, very selective schools like NYU who are just not putting in the effort for those schools. And it actually can hurt their chances of getting to schools that they might consider to be no problem for them to get into or, or a target school for them. Uh, how does this sort of piling up at the high end of your list affect the applications for those schools that might you know, be targets or reasonable considerations for you? Mm-hmm. I think in my experience, you know, I've had a couple of students who, against all our advice, ended up applying to uh, sometimes 20 schools. I even had one student who applied to 30 schools. Uh, um, I remember that. <laughs> and, and again, this was completely against our advice. I, I think for some of the students that I've seen who, who've done this, oftentimes what usually ends up happening is that they are overloading on the top end. Um, they're unable to do quality work, the, the quality work that's required um, of their application. And as a consequence, um, there are some of these students who didn't get into any of their challenges. You know, it, it, and, you know, I would, I would put it this way, in that there could be some schools that are challenges and then there are other schools that are unlikely. And um, sometimes some students uh, aim for the unlikelies more so than the challenges. Uh, the challenges that are possibilities that are within reach. Um, and when I've seen students overload uh, their college list with unlikelies and those uh, and, and a ton of challenges, um, you know, I, I've seen them come away from the process uh, with some results that, you know, weren't what they expected. You know, they ended up not getting into any of their challenges um, and instead, you know, got into mostly their, their just right schools or their no problem schools. And I, the, the student that I had who applied to 30 schools, um, you know, there were some schools on this list that I think were, you know, you know all possibilities for him. Um, I think he just stretched himself too thin. Um, and, you know, there was one school that we, we, uh, I recommended to him, and I said, hey, you know, I, I, it, it's a challenge to get into this school. It's, it was an ivy. Um, it's within the realm of possibilities for you, I think. Um, I think you're going to need to demonstrate some interest. I think you're going to want to probably apply early decision, given it's, you know, one of the schools at the top of your list. Um, but... He saw another school. <laughs> it was even more challenging to get in, and he decided to apply to 
apply to that school restrictive early action. And when he didn't get that result, he ended up applying to all of the IVs and a ton of Ivy Plus schools. Um, at the very end of the day, he, um, with respect to his challenges, he got into the school that we recommended from the get-go. You know, that was the school he ended up getting into, and he got denied and waitlisted at all of those other schools um, that he applied to uh, due to his panic. Um, so, you know, I, I would say listen to the advice. If, if you're looking at your Naviance uh, scattergram, if you've got access to Naviance and you can see, where, you know, the history of your school and, and where your numbers fall within um, the historical record of applications to that uh, prospective university and, and, and things are not, you know, looking so keen, then move on to another school. You know, be uh, strategic with your, your college list. Um, not just strategic, but also heartfelt. You know, go for those schools that really mean something to you. And you're not going to discover that if you don't put in that research and if you're not demonstrating that interest to that school and visiting that school. Um, then, you know, if it's not that important to you, then maybe you shouldn't be submitting your application. Right. Right. I, I, that's, I think that's all true. And, you know, just as we sort of close this segment, uh, um, two important things, I think, for one, I, I don't see a correlation between students applying to more schools and getting into more schools. I think that the opposite can sometimes be true. Um, and then second, perhaps more importantly, is, you know, as you're describing with your student, when you get all those denies and those waitlist decisions, it makes you feel worse about the process, even if you ultimately got into the same school that you might have gotten into ED or if you'd had a smaller, more more balanced list. So really, I think when you apply to more schools, you're setting yourself up for a worse experience overall. And you know, for us, we really want students to feel good coming out of this process, um, both because of the outcomes, but also because of the way that they manage the process. And so that's why we encourage kids to really be thoughtful about the list they put together. Um, Zaragoza, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish we had more time for this, uh, but it was a great segment. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My pleasure, Ian. Yeah, have a great time uh, trick-or-treating tonight. Um, all right, folks. Happy Halloween. When we come back, we're going to dive into best practices for applying for financial aid, and you don't want to miss it. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get into our final segment, I do want to let all of the listeners know that the College Coach team is continuing to extend our friends and family discount to radio show listeners. We consider you friends of College Coach. So if you're feeling a little pressure at this point, you want to get some support from our team of experts, please get in touch with us directly. You can reach out through our website at getintocollege.com, where you'll see all the faces and profiles of the guests you hear every week on this show. All right, turning the page to finance, please welcome one of our longtime favorite guests back to the show, college finance expert, Michelle Richardson. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Ian. Thanks so much for that kind introduction. Of course. Now, we've got the top five mistakes that students and families make. And I I think, you know, five mistakes, maybe in no particular order, or we're going to start with the ones that matter the most, so a little bit of a reversal. Um, So college admission application season is in full swing, as I well know. I'm ready for a nap on Saturday. Um, While students are submitting (laughs) essays and admission applications, families are starting to work on their financial aid. So let's figure out what those top five mistakes are, starting with number one. What's the first mistake that you see? You know, the first mistake is probably the largest, and families simply don't apply for financial aid or complete the financial aid applications. Um, Oftentimes they assume they're not going to qualify for anything, and some families aren't aware that in order for their student to have access to, let's say, the federal direct loan, they have to complete the universal financial aid application, which is often referred to as the FAFSA. FAFSA stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. So um, that's probably the biggest mistake is they simply don't apply. Gotcha. So apply for aid. That seems like a good idea. Why, why would students and families not complete an application for aid? Um, some might think that the process is, is cumbersome. Um, they've done a really great job, and they, meaning the Department of Ed, to streamline the application uh, process. Um, they now have a data retrieval tool that connects their tax information from the IRS to the FAFSA. So um, some families just, I think, have thought it's a little overwhelming. Um, mm. Some don't want to share their financial information. And others, like I said, you know, oftentimes when I talk to families, they just 
simply assume that they're not going to um, qualify. And, uh, you know, in order to qualify, they have to complete the financial aid application because um, the cost of attendance is uh, a factor that comes into play uh, in order for them to qualify for need-based financial aid. And so um, it's really a, a good idea. You never want to leave any opportunities for uh, free money on the table. Yeah, I think that's right. So number two, they're not they're not applying. What's the number two mistake that we tend to see? Um, the number two mistake is families wait to apply um, gotcha. until the students actually been admitted somewhere. And so families don't need to wait until they know where their student has been accepted to apply for aid. And um, absolutely not. Um, the financial aid applications open up in the student's senior year um, on October 1st. And the family should really be completing the financial aid applications at the same time the students are submitting their college admission applications. Um, some colleges will award their need-based financial aid first come, first serve. So you want to make sure that they have the information and Families should also be aware colleges might have priority deadlines um, in order for your applications to be completed by. So don't wait. Um, take care of that um, sooner rather than later, especially for those families with high school seniors right now. Yeah, I had that conversation with a family just last night about the role of the priority deadline. So keep that in mind, certainly. Um, so number one, they don't apply. Number two, they might wait to apply. What's the the third of the top five mistakes that families make on financial aid? You know, I mentioned that families need to complete the FAFSA, the universal financial aid application that basically every college requires. And oftentimes when they complete the FAFSA, they think they're done. And that may not necessarily be the case. Um, there are about 300 colleges uh, across the country, predominantly the highly selective ones, or the ones that have large endowments, and they require an additional financial aid application, which is called the CSS profile. Um, and that is definitely required by those institutions in order to qualify for any grant aid uh, from the colleges. So um, another factor involved with this is parents need to remember that the financial aid applications are student applications. And so uh, the entities are going to be communicating and sending emails to the students. So when a family submits the FAFSA um, or when the college financial aid office gets that information, if they need any other follow-up information, they're going to send an email to the student, not to the parent. So parents need to be mindful um, as well as students uh, to ha uh, check their email and make sure that the school has all the information um, that they need because sometimes um, they have to come back and ask for tax documents or documentation for a special circumstance. So, again, families need to be aware of that. 
Yeah, and can I just circle back? I I told someone yesterday um, that the FAFSA is income-driven and that the CSS profile uh, takes account of other kinds of assets. Is there anything else that um, families should know about what is contained on the profile, what's being asked for there? Um, One big thing with the profile uh, that the FAFSA does not ask for, actually there's two things, Um, home equity, the CSS profile will ask about information regarding the primary residence of the family. The FAFSA does not include that as a parent asset. Um, also, the CSS profile will ask for all retirement account balances as of the day you're completing the, that application, where the FAFSA, when you are reporting parent-owned assets or investments, you don't include your retirement accounts. Gotcha. That's very, very helpful. Didn't mean to derail us on, on one, two, and three. Let's move on to number four, the fourth big mistake that we see families making with financial aid this time of year. Um, This kind of tags on with the question you just asked. Some families, they misreport the income and asset information on the applications. You know, one of the biggest uh, errors we often find is, again, even though the financial aid applications are student applications, I know that probably 95, if not 99% of the time, the parents are completing them. So sometimes parents will put their own information in the student sections when it comes to assets or uh, income information. That can be um, something that families need to be uh, aware of. Um, We just touched on the FAFSA does not require home equity or the reporting of retirement assets, and, and sometimes families do include that. So, Uh, watch for the uh, specific investment and asset information uh, on both the FAFSA and the CSS profile. Um, And a big one is a lot of families have 529 plans or Coverdell education savings accounts. And even though the student is the beneficiary, oftentimes for those accounts, um, families need to remember and know that they need to report those on both the FAFSA and the CSS profile as parent-owned assets, not student-owned assets. And honestly, that is a great thing. Uh, Parent-owned assets are treated much more favorably um, in the calculation. So that's actually a a good thing. So uh, families should just... uh, Read through the applications carefully and make sure they're uh, putting the right asset and income information in the correct sections. Gotcha. That that makes sense. Put the right information in the right sections. Let's do it, guys. Um, (laughs) um, Number five, Michelle, we're coming here to the end of the list. What is the, the fifth of the top five common mistakes around financial aid? Um, The fifth one has to do with family dynamics. Um, When a family completes the FAFSA, it'll ask if the biological parents of the student are married, separated, or divorced, or unmarried and and living together. And this is critical um, in the fact that in the situation of where the biological parents are either divorced or separated, um, it's the parent that's defined as the custodial parent is the information that would be 
reported on the FAFSA. And the custodial parent for this purpose is defined as the parent with whom the student has lived with the most in the prior 12 months. And so uh, sometimes we find that families will... If there is a custodial parent uh, situation and that custodial parent is remarried, that they may not include the step-parent, but they do need to include the step-parent's information. Um, sometimes families will include both custodial parents. Um, and along with family dynamics, uh, be mindful of the number in the household and the number in college. And um, if families have an older sibling or child that maybe is in a graduate program or maybe they're not living with the family but the family is still supporting them more than 50% um, in that academic year, the family can include that individual as a member of the household. And if they're in college, let's say in a grad program, they can include that individual as part of the number in college. So um, hmm. a couple things to think about regarding family dynamics. No, I think that's that's great and probably not something that uh, people typically think about. So that's why it landed on the top five list, I suppose. Um, so... <laughs> To, to recap, uh, apply, don't wait to apply, look beyond the FAFSA, make sure that you are representing the best uh, information that you can to the best of your knowledge on the applications, and then be careful when it comes to defining your family and, and who is in college. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for your terrific, your terrific countdown, all the support you give to families this time of year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ian. I hope you have a great day and a happy Halloween. Thanks so much. And folks, that's it for us today. Next week, I'll be back in the hosting chair. We'll be welcoming the CEO of Global Citizen Year to talk about their gap year abroad and to discuss some of the opportunities created for students who choose to take a gap year. We'll also talk through the student loan grace period and begin looking ahead to decisions with a conversation on how to respond to a deferral. Until next week, keep at it. I know that the passing of November 1 can feel like a huge opportunity to take a breath and relax. And you can, but the best thing you can do is to keep tackling those tasks as they come in. You don't want to find yourself scrambling again when Thanksgiving rolls around. My best advice is to enter the holidays with everything squared away so that you can enjoy time with your family and a few good books instead of even more essay drafts. Have a wonderful week, y'all. That's a little spooky. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.